Hello, and welcome to this Speedlisten installment of the Six-Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the Queen of the West, Dale Evans, all in under 30 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six-Gun Justice podcast, but usually ride solo for these Speedlisten bonus installments. Today, however, I'm joined by my friend and president of the Western Writers of America, Chris Entz, who has co-written two books with Howard Kazanjian featuring Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, The Cowboy and the Senorita, a biography of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and most recently, Happy Trails, a pictorial celebration of the life and times of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Hey, Chris, thanks for hanging out with me again today. Always a pleasure, Paul. Always enjoy talking with you. Chris, you really are amazing. Every time I turn around, you've won another award. You recently picked up a Downing Award from Cowgirl Magazine for your article, Wild Woman of the West, Jenny Murphy, a Silver Will Rogers Medallion Award for nonfiction for your book, No Place for a Woman, The Struggle for Suffrage in the Wild West, and in your role as president of the Western Writers of America, a Mountain Plains Museum Association Award for multimedia presentation for the film project, Packing the West. These are all very well-deserved, but I'm still beginning to think you have dirt on all the judges in these competitions. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, as a licensed private investigator, I do. I can dig deep, my friend. Dig deep. <laughs> these judges don't know what they're in for when you oh. enter into a contest, do they? Congratulations on that. The only one I'm really unfamiliar with is a Downing Award. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, it's the Laura Downing Award with Women Writing the West. And Laura Downing was one of the women who founded the Women Writing the West organization. Linda Womack fought very hard to get that particular journalism award established. I'm grateful for her. These are articles, not necessarily books, written about the subject of women of the West. I was pleased to be able to submit my story about Jenny Murphy, who was a doctor in the Dakotas, an amazing woman, a physician at a time where women doctors weren't really very well accepted. So I was thrilled to win. Congratulations again. It really speaks to some things that you do as a writer. You say this was for articles. So you write magazine articles, you write nonfiction works, you work in multimedia as you did with the Packing the West presentation. You really are a jack of all multimedia. As a working author, I don't know how you can earn a living in just one area. Certainly you can do it if you were J.K. Rollins or Scott Thoreau. Well, you can do that yeah. kind of thing. But when you're not at that particular level, you have to do a lot. When you're not a lottery winner like John Grisham and J.K. Rowling, and you really have to be aware of every opportunity. I used to say I'd write the back of cereal boxes if they paid me. I think you learn, and all of those things that you do like that, you learn. I also write advertising copy for different businesses, for radio and television. That's another way to be able to hone your trade. It teaches you how to write in a 30-second or 60-second time frame. It's good. Let's talk a little bit about The Cowboy and the Senorita, a biography of Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. This is a biography of the King of the Cowboys and the Queen of the West that includes many inside stories about these beloved Western icons, which the Rogers family actually shared with you. How did your relationship with the Rogers family come about, and what was the impetus for this book? I co-authored these particular books with Howard Kazanjian, and Howard was friends with Dale Evans. And so early in 2000, Howard asked me to come on board and help him write this book about Dale Evans and Roy Rogers, which was going to be used as a springboard to make a motion picture. 
Howard had learned about my work. He was a judge for the Nickel Fellowship, which is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science scholarship program for people that screenwrite. And I wrote a screenplay. He was one of the judges and he liked my writing. You must have had dirt on him too then, right? Yeah. Gosh, I did. (laughs) You know, my goal was to start out writing comedy. That's what I wanted to do. I worked my way through college as a stand-up comic. And so I wrote this piece called Die Laughing about a stand-up comedian who's mistaken for a mafia hit woman. I don't know how Howard got from that, that I could write books. I think it was the whole screenwriting thing. So he invited me to come with him to Victorville to go to the museum. At that time, the Roy Rogers Dale Evans Museum was in Victorville. And we went there and I met with Dusty Rogers, which is Roy's son from his first marriage, Dale's stepson. And they ushered me into this area and I got to go through 65 boxes of items that the family hadn't really gone through in a number of years. Roy Rogers was a pack rat, so he kept everything. Every watch he ever got in his whole life, he kept all of those. He kept pens. He kept all the gifts that he received. When I was in the back of this warehouse room going through the historical archives, there was a gentleman there who was a film archivist, and he was showing a film on the wall of a television episode that Roy did called This Is Your Life. And gosh, it was amazing. He and I were just sitting in this little room in this big warehouse area watching this film footage and realizing how remarkable Roy was, but also how remarkable Dale was. Just this extraordinary couple who experienced a lot of grief in their lives, but walked through it all with head held high and never sold out their faith, never sold out their morals. What you say is very interesting, how remarkable Roy Rogers was and how remarkable Dale Evans was. This duo starred in 29 movies, recorded more than 200 albums together. They brought their talents, of course, to television in the 1950s with The Roy Rogers Show. But even though they're often mentioned in the same breath, Roy does get top billing, which may speak more to the times than anything else. But that said, Dale rarely gets out of Roy's shadow, and I think this does her a great disservice. What do you think makes Dale Evans special? Why is she considered the queen of the West? I, I just have a great appreciation for her early years in the industry because she did not have a desire to be in any Western films. She was a singer in nightclubs in Chicago and was very good, sang on the radio in Chicago, these amazing ballads, and she was exceptional at what she did. And so when she got the call to go and do a screen test in Hollywood for a movie called Holiday Inn, Her goal was to be on Broadway. Her goal was to be in musicals. Her goal was not to be in Westerns. The first person that she was associated with, who was a big wig in the industry, had asked her initially when she went into this audition for Holiday Inn to tell them that she could dance. And she said, I'm not going to do that. When they started asking her questions about her background, They said, we are under the understanding that you can dance. And she said, no, I can't dance, which was really interesting because the gentleman who got her into this particular audition was sitting there, was fuming about the fact that she would not exaggerate on her talents. She didn't get the role in Holiday Inn, obviously, but she did get signed with Paramount Pictures. She had a son, Tom, who she had when she was barely 17 years old. Let's talk about that a little bit before we get into her career, because this is a woman who comes from a very tumultuous background. She's born Lucille Wood Smith. While she's an infant, her name gets changed to Frances Octavia Smith. And then she elopes when she's 14 years old with Thomas F. Fox, who she has a son with when she's 15. That's then he abandons her. 
Yeah, she's a little bit older than what you said. But yes, they were in Texas. They snuck out and went into another state to get married where it was legal for them to get married. They didn't have to ask for their parents' permission. But yes, I mean, she was very young. She was just a teenager when she marries Tom Fox and gets pregnant. And Tom leaves before the baby's even born. And she's left wondering, what is she going to do? So she goes back to Texas, has Tom, lives with her mother and father, who were wonderful people. She has a brother who was a wonderful brother to her. But she has a little Tommy and works in an insurance office. But she still has these amazing dreams to be on Broadway, to be a singer. And while she's working in the insurance office, she's writing her songs and goes and lends her voice to radio shows. She writes everything that she sings, and she's just incredibly gifted. It's difficult for her as a young single mother raising Tom and still having all these dreams. She goes again from living with her folks in Texas. She goes to Chicago, and her and Tommy are really struggling in Chicago. It's 1931, and she's in Chicago working at the different clubs and at a radio station trying to really make it, and she doesn't have a lot of food. What she does have, she gives to Tommy. She consequently gets very ill from malnutrition and ends up going back home again because she's really struggling. So she goes back and forth to her mom and dad's home a couple of times before things finally start to break for her. During this time period, she takes on the name Dale Evans at the suggestion of one of the station managers. It was something that disc jockeys could easily pronounce and remember. Where do you think that name actually came from? so many different ideas about where it came from. I think that they were just looking for something that was mellifitous, that would just flow off of the tongue. I think there was a street not far from where the radio station was called Evans, and they thought that would sound really good. And they thought if it was Dale, that usually is a name affiliated with a guy. So they thought that would help market her a little bit better. I think it really worked. Dale Evans sounds a lot better than Francis Smith. It certainly does. And she also gets married again. In fact, twice more. And both of those marriages fail. When she's at 20th Century Fox, the studios get her to promote herself as a single woman who's raising her brother, Tommy. That is absolutely correct. She hates having to say that it's her brother, Tommy. Never went down well with her. But you're right. I want to touch base on the fact that she was married twice. She married a gambler by the name of Candy Johns when she's in Chicago. And he gets in trouble with the mob and takes a lot of her money, which is how she ends up not having a lot of money to feed herself, just her son. And then she marries Richard Butts, who was an orchestra leader at NBC Radio there in Chicago. Each one of these marriages help get her to the next station in life and really do teach her a lot about what she needs to do to be able to prepare herself for the future. But yeah, when she gets into the studios, they have her say that Tommy is her little brother. She's taking care of him. All the promotional press package that they did at that time to be able to make their potential stars something that everybody will resonate to and feel empathy for. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until Tommy is a little bit older and decides he's going to join the military and writes in the box about his mother that it's Dale Evans. And that's picked up by Luella Parsons, who goes public and says, this is not Tommy Fox, who everybody thought was Dale Evans' little brother, is really her son. Parsons went public with that. And Dale was not mad about the public outing. She was thrilled. She was really yeah. relieved that the truth was now known. So she was forever indebted to the gossip colonists who came out with that bit of information. I'm sure Luella Parsons was expecting a different... She certainly always got different reactions. It was never, how wonderful of you to be able to spill everything about me. 
but uh, Dale, <laughs> Dale, Dale was different when it came to that. So She didn't have any other children from the marriages to Johns and Butts. So it's just Tommy and her. And how does she come in contact with Roy? She is signed with Paramount Pictures. She's on loan to Republic Pictures. She goes to do this audition for a film called The Cowboy and the Senorita. With the part of the Senorita. She doesn't want to do Westerns. She is hoping that when she goes down there, that they see her work and they think she's too good to be in this picture. But she goes and auditions and she has this immediate chemistry with Roy Rogers. Now, Roy has been in a number of Westerns with other women, a few of them he's been consistently paired with. So this instant chemistry that they have is seen by the studio heads. When she gets cast in this movie, she says, all right, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to sing and I'm going to be a great actress. And they're going to see this and they're going to say, she's too spectacular to be in B-Westerns. We have got to get her into other films. That didn't happen. They saw the chemistry that the two of them had, and they signed her for seven more pictures with Roy. So that's how it all starts. And Dale is very good friends with Roy Rogers and his wife, Arlene. Spends a lot of time with Arlene, spends a lot of time with their children, Linda Lou and Cheryl, and takes care of the girls. Arlene was Roy's first marriage. I know that they always say that there was a woman before Arlene, but that is baloney. Baloney. There were a lot of Leonard Slys. That Leonard Sly that is in all of the Ancestral.com records, let's say, it's not even the same spelling. He wasn't even born in the same place. It's just that his name was Leonard Sly. Roy Rogers' name is Leonard Sly. And they try to make that leap. But he was not married to anyone other than Arlene and Dale. That's it. So because I spent so many years doing research on Roy and Dale, it's amazing to me how many people come in with different things. When I was doing a book event, I had a guy come up to me and he said, I noticed that you didn't write anything about Roy Rogers' brother that served in jail for murder. I said, he doesn't have any brothers. He was the only son. He had sisters. But people are very adamant about that fact. And you'll find these little tidbits on the internet, but they never follow it through. They just hear different things. I'm sorry. I took you down a rabbit trail here, Paul. I'm sure you're thrilled about that. I love rabbit trails. Roy's marriage is great. He absolutely adores Arlene. They adopt Cheryl, their first child. They don't think they can have any children together. They adopt Cheryl. And then they find out, oh, guess what? We're going to have a child. So then they have Linda Lou. And then not too long after they find out they're going to have another child. And it's when Arlene is in the hospital having their son, Dusty. Roy is just over the moon that he has a son. As a matter of fact, all the newspapers say the king of the cowboys has a prince. He's just thrilled. And he's there with Arlene and he doesn't want to leave her side. Finally, his agent convinces him, you need to at least go home and take a shower and get some rest. Roy does leave and he no sooner gets home and gets himself cleaned up that he gets a call from the hospital that Arlene has had a blood clot that has broken and gone into her heart. By the time he gets to the hospital, Arlene has passed and he is traumatized and so grief stricken. He goes out into the parking lot at one point just to try to collect his thoughts. And while he's out there, of course, fans are running up to him, asking him for his autograph. And he never denied that, even as heartbroken as he was. With tears streaming down his face, he was signing autographs and saying to the children, happy trail. He's left now with three little children, this little baby and the two little girls. And he's still working as much as he ever did. As I said, he's paired with Dale Evans in a number of these pictures. And Dale has always been friends with Arlene. And she knows the girls very well. She knows little Dusty. She babysits. 
50s on the set with Roy. Not only do they appear on screen together, but they perform in rodeos. They perform at various shows across the United States. They're in hospitals performing in burn units for children. They go everywhere together. So their relationship started to blossom after Arlene dies. Their relationship takes a different turn and they become close. And Roy asks Dale to marry him. And they get married in 1947, New Year's Eve, 1947. She just was a great mother to Dusty and to the girls. And the two of them just had this amazing relationship. But Roy was very much in love with his first wife. And this was the really, I think, the first time in Dale's life that she can say that she was hopelessly in love with someone when she was with Roy. So the two of them found in one another this connection that started with the pictures and then ended with them getting married and Roy taking on Tommy as his stepson and certainly Dale taking on Roy's children as the stepmother, just being wonderful with those children. And they go on to adopt Debbie and Dodie, and they adopt a son by the name of Sandy, and they have a child of their own, Robin. And Robin dies a couple of days before she turns two years old. She is a Down syndrome child, and she dies from heart complications. This is a hugely traumatic turning point for Dale, as well as for Roy. Dale goes on to write this bestseller called Angel Unaware, influenced by the death of her child. And this becomes a standard for organizations that are trying to get rid of the stigma of Down syndrome and other mental health images. That's absolutely correct. Dale was just devastated by the death of her daughter, Robin, and she spends a lot of time at the cemetery where her daughter is buried, bringing flowers and just sitting by her grave and contemplating what has happened and trying to find a way to press on. And it was while she was at Robin's grave, she looks up and a mother is walking towards the grave, holding the hand of her daughter, who was a Down syndrome child, about six, seven years old. And Dale decides after looking at that, that she's going to write a book. And the book she writes is called Angel Unaware. And it's written from Robin's standpoint, with Robin's voice. And that helps Dale. That's very healing for Dale. It helps her get to the next stage in her career the next stage in her marriage, and leads her then to start this amazing career. Not only was she a songwriter and a singer and an actress, now she becomes this amazingly prolific author, turning out book after book, not only about Robin and children like Robin, but about her faith and what has helped her get to the next point in her life. What an incredible idea to tell the story from Robin's point of view. Robin's an infant. And to take the voice of your now deceased child and go with that story, I can't imagine the emotional drain that must have been. And yet it becomes a blazing success. Honestly, it does. It just took off. Everyone knows Dale Evans. She's everywhere. This is a tragedy that strikes someone in the forefront of everybody's thoughts. There were Dale Evans products everywhere, vests and hats. So to think that this tragedy could affect someone that you see everywhere in that particular time in the 50s, celebrities were beyond everything else. They didn't have the problems that everybody else did. They were somewhere in the stratosphere and removed from all of it. So to have something like this happen to Dale Evans, 
and to be able to share her pain on the page and in the songs that she wrote really struck a chord with the populace who were such fans of hers. And they couldn't help but be drawn to anything else that she was going to write about, anything that she was going to sing about. They wanted to know more about this person. They found a consolation in her that they wouldn't have had she not been very public about this tragedy. And you begin to see how she is becoming the Queen of the West. Yeah, no doubt. I love her character on screen. She's incredibly tough. She was not someone that took a backseat to Roy in any of the films. She had her own person in the film. She made sure that she had a voice. She could ride like nobody's business. She rode buttermilk. Roy had trigger. She had buttermilk. And she was really somebody that made sure her characters in the films had a position, had a point of view, could stand up for what she believed. And I always appreciated that when I watched her. I watched her in these films. I thought she isn't the meek woman in the corner that's just going to be quiet when Roy comes in. Nope, she wasn't going to do that. I'm going to ride. I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to help get the bad guy because that's what I do. She reminds me in some ways of Annie Oakley in the fact she was very attractive, but she always downplayed that. She was just a solid, good human being. There wouldn't have been the Annie Oakley series had it not been for Dale Evans. She's the one that set the standard and everybody else followed along after that. It was interesting that both Dale Evans and Gail Davies, who played Annie Oakley, shared the same stunt woman. Wasn't it indeed? But both Gail and Dale were not afraid of doing some of their own work on horseback as well. That's the other thing I appreciate about Dale. She was pretty fierce. I can do that. I'm going to try that. Let me do it. I think fierce is wonderful, especially when you're trying to break out of a stereotype of women in Westerns. And that's certainly something that Dale Evans did. Her books, she's very open about her emotions and about dealing with the death of her child. She also never shied away from sharing her faith. In fact, Roy and Dale were regulars with Billy Graham in the Crusades, appearing all over the country, singing gospel songs and giving their testimony. And this continued throughout the rest of her life as well. It did. That was quite magnanimous, too, especially given the fact there were so many industry leaders telling them to not do that. That's really going to go against them. That's not going to be something in their favor. They refused to do that. Dale was somebody who went to church after Robin passed away and really kept herself grounded in the word. Roy didn't do that. Roy retreated in himself, and he was very depressed and very despondent. And Dale kept inviting him to go to church, and he refused to go so often. And then one day he does go, and he commits himself to Jesus, gives himself over to that, and the two of them become a powerhouse in that particular field of being able to share their faith with the world. And that is seen in every one of them. At that point, they have this television show, the Roy Rogers to Evans television show, where their mantra And the things that they want to teach their young audience is about those basic Ten Commandments, those things that you do that you don't go outside of this and that it's good and it's decent to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But Dale's influence over all of that certainly dripped onto Roy, and that's how his faith came about. And then the two of them were off and running, as you say, with Billy Graham, and they appeared on so many Christian television shows singing. 
Dale writes Happy Trails, but not only does she write Happy Trails, she writes a number of Christian songs and they do a number of Christian albums together. So it's not just Western music that she does. Her faith is shown in the music that she writes about the Lord as well. It's really interesting because the industry does start to recognize her. She has two stars on Hollywood Boulevard. She's inducted into the Western Performers Hall of Fame at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. She's inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame and inducted into the Texas Trail of Fame. And she's ranked number 34 on country music's 40 Greatest Women in Country Music in 2002. That's an amazing accomplishment for somebody who we don't necessarily see as a superstar. Yeah, I think all of those things are to her credit. She would have loved it if she would have gotten more recognition, but she wasn't about that. She was about being able to talk about the Westerns that she did with Roy, wanting to be able to put more products out there that was going to be an example for good to the young people. These are two people who really did walk their faith. They were not people that would get on television and say it and then go home and not be any of those things. They were consistent all the way through with their faith. And I think that the American public saw that and absolutely adored them for it. I don't even know what kind of award you would give to somebody who falls into that category of not selling out your own belief and your own faith for more fame and more power. I love the statement Dale Evans made when she's inducted into the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame. She says, cowgirl is an attitude, really, a pioneer spirit, a special American brand of courage. The cowgirl faces life head on, lives by her own lights, and makes no excuses. Cowgirls take stands. They speak up. They defend things they hold dear. I don't think there's any better testament to Dale Evans than what she says right there, because she lived that code of the cowgirl. And if we were on stage right now, we just drop the mic and walk away because that is completely the embodiment of Dale Evans. Chris, thank you for being with me again today. I really enjoy doing these sessions with you, and I look forward to talking to you again when we talk about another Wild Woman of the West. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this bonus speed listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com for regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and remember, happy trails. Adios. I'm out of here. Let's ride.